Welcome to Creative Chat, the show in which creativity is celebrated and explored with a little therapy thrown in. Each show brings artists from different modalities together to discuss their art, their creative process, and how we all are interconnected. Tune in today to find out how with your host, Dr. Judy Bloom and entertainer, Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, Judy. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Richard? I am doing great, and it's Thursday, it's July, it's summer, it's hot. And it's my son's 36th birthday, so happy birthday, Skyler. It's so nice. And he is out on the West Coast celebrating. He was out on the West Coast celebrating. Now he's back on the East Coast celebrating with his East Coast friends because he... Why have a birthday day when you can have a birthday month, you know? <laughs> what are you talking about? I celebrate a birthday year. I, <laughs> next year when I turn 63, that's when I turn the page. Right. Because so, you know me, I celebrate everything. And I am so excited about today's show because I have two friends on the show uh, that one I haven't seen in a while. Uh, another one that I saw just a few months ago, but she's coming to New York. And then... A new friend, and I hope by the end of today's show, he's going to be a friend for both of us. Um, And I couldn't be happier. You know, I'm thinking that our theme for today, and we'll figure out a way for Mark and how we tie this in, but I'm thinking it's about returns. I was watching Sunset Boulevard the other night uh, with Gloria uh, Swanson, and uh, he said, you're making a comeback. And she said, I hate that word. It's a return. So I think of our first guest... She's simply making a return. Uh, Jenny Burton, uh, who I have been a fan of since the first time I had the Jenny Burton experience. Mm -hmm. And I used to go to your shows that don't tell Mama Jenny. And then she disappeared. She left all of her fans. We were in and now she's coming back. So, Jenny, I'm so thrilled you're here today, and meet Judy Bloom. Hi, Dr. Bloom. How are you? I actually went online and, and looked you up, and I was fascinated by the work you do. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, Jenny, do you want to hear about that, uh, that period in between when you, when you were performing and then not performing? How was that for you? Uh, well, it it really was a decision of survival. My show had closed at Don't Tell Mama, which had run there for seven years. And um, my producers looked at me. They had me on a stipend during the seven years. They looked at me and we said, they said, you need to go get a job because we can't keep, you can't keep doing this. And, and the show was coming, you know, coming to a conclusion of, in, the, in the time. And so I got a job, a part-time job with an insurance brokerage as a receptionist. And um, then they they said, you need to get a part-time job. And then six months later, they said, you need to get a full-time job. So I went to the company and I said, I need a full-time job. And it was such a uh, uh, pivotal time because I'd been there six months. And that's usually an evaluation time. So they hired me. So I stayed with that company 17 years and became the office manager for the company. 
in that time. During that time frame, when you were not on stages, uh, how did you keep your creativity juices going? Every now and then there would be a project, often with Peter. Um, he had written a, a musical called Iphigenia many years ago. Peter Link is a composer and a record producer, and he's written King of Hearts, Iphigenia, The Mighty Gents. And so he would call me in to do vocal work on projects. But the job was my focus, and because I did not want to have them thinking that I was going to be flighty, you know, and not dependable, I really made that my focus. So I didn't take anything that required a lot of time. Because I knew that that check was coming in. <laughs> you know, so so I had to really seriously make a decision that I wasn't going to um, jeopardize that. Um, during the late, much, much later, I took a six-week period off, and we did a show called Is Anybody Listening at the Sheen Theater. And so we it was a six-week period of rehearsal. So I went to my boss, who was really wonderful and down-to-earth. I said, okay, I want to take this time and you don't have to pay me. Wow. I figured if I went in with that, how could she refuse? So they let me go do that, and so and then I went back to work right after we finished. So, so you did have these, I want to call them spurts. Spurts. Uh, uh, yes, of creativity that were happening at that time. But, you know, when I, you know, used to go and see you at Don't Tell Mama, when I lived in Manhattan, and that's been a while uh, as well, um, you were very much a fixture in the cabaret world, but you have covered all genres of music. Yeah. Um, but uh, your show, as I said earlier, was called the Ginny Burton Experience. Um, coming back now, even though, as Gloria Swanson says, a return, what feels different for you? You know, it's what I didn't estimate well was being in the corporate world for 17 years and not always vocalizing, not always going to the gym, not always thinking about staying in shape as an artist, made a big difference coming back to this album. Because Peter and I had been talking about doing this album. He said, I've been waiting on you for 17, seven years to start this album, which I didn't know. Um, but <clears throat> when we we were talking about the album, talking about the album, talking about the album. Then one day he said, we're going to do the album, and he handed me a schedule. Now, while we were talking about doing the album, I started to vocalize, and I started to go to the gym. But not to the degree that I needed to have done that mm -hmm. to start a new album. So you come back to a new album, you come back to singing with a lower voice. Okay, because I can sing into the stratosphere, which you know. Richard. Oh. And so it's like getting used to the voice you have now, getting that voice in. So it's about saying, okay, this is where I am right now. Okay. And all the spilt milk, I, I got to put that away because that's only going to get in the way. So it's like accepting the full package right now. We are eight songs into my album at this point. Wow. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he's kicking my butt. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, one thing Great. that I want to say, and I'm going to put on uh, Dr. Boom's hat for a moment, if you don't mind, Judy. Um, but, uh, you know, in this business, all of us, singers, male, female, our voices do change as yeah. we get older. Whether you're going to the gym, whether you're vocalizing every day, whether you're not. Yeah. 
But what does that do for you psychologically to realize going to the studio that your voice is in a different place than it was the last time you were in a studio recording an album? How do you deal with that psychologically? Well, if you're going to do the album, if you make a decision to do it, the only thing you can do is to accept where you are and work your butt off. I've been vocalizing every day. And so the days when I feel like my voice isn't quite ready to do that, I do gentle vocalizing, so I'm vocalizing. But it is an adjustment. I, I have to say, you know, they say that maturing is not, is not for the faint and hard. There are so many things that are different including your head because this album is different than any album I've ever done in terms of the subject matters on the album and it's not on purpose it's just I keep a book and we had a hundred song titles that I'd written down that I'd either been inspired by or I heard a conversation and something really interesting came out of that so so we sat and looked through a hundred song titles we thought about what do you want to cover because I said I want to cover some tunes Peter's a composer he's not like having a lot of covers on the album because it's about his songs being on the album and he's a terrific composer so there's no problem there but we covered an Etta James tune we covered an Al Jarreau tune we covered a a Roberta Flack tune scared to death to do that. Do you understand me? Because those out of your comfort zone. They are icons. Right, right, and right. And, and that's great because you're willing to take risk, and you know that's critical to being yeah. a, a creative soul. I think, um, and what you're talking about, Jenny, that you know that acceptance of who you are today. You know who you are at this moment. And knowing that that's exactly who you are, and that's perfectly great, mm -hmm. you know? And you were great before, and now you're just great differently. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, it's you have to yeah. kind of come to, you have to kind of come to that. Because yeah. if you don't do that acceptance, you will not do good work. Because yeah. it, will, it will get in the way. Yeah. Well, it's just like aging, aging in general, right? Yes. You know, accept that. You know, sorry, but you're not 22 anymore. <laughs> I've been thinking about aging, not as a negativity, but just the arc of being born and the different, the different, you know, you're born and you're a baby baby, then you're a toddler, and then you're, an, you're whatever you are, then you're an adolescent, and then you're a young person, and then you're, but watching the bloom on the rose is very interesting, and I looked at aging that way the other day yeah. you know and it's really a fascinating thing when you think about it yeah it really is I mean I, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show but today's my son's 36th birthday yeah so it, you know you think back 36 years ago all the changes that I've seen that that young man go through um, to become this terrific person he is today and you know, and what that means, though, for yourself, for your own life, you know, yes. all the changes I've gone through mm -hmm. since that time. So, you know, I, I agree. I think it's actually a fascinating pro prospect, and not think something we need to be afraid of. Well, you know, with all of that said, uh, Doctor Bloom, I am a little scared of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, I, got, I got a whole list of issues that have filled this room. But it's like when you when you get the task of when when somebody says to you. The studio's free, and my work is free, and I want to do this album. 
you have to kind of latch on to that. Because you don't know, you know, it's like being on a merry-go-round and, and the, um, the thing that you pull out of the, what did that, you know, when, uh, on, when you're in an amusement park and the thing you pull off the brass ring, the brass ring, it's not always there when you go around. No, no. So it's like, okay, this could be a ba brass ring that I need to pull. Betty, I'll tell you a funny story. I worked in an amusement park and there was oh a my God. and they had the brass ring. And I'm on the carousel one day and they come by to get the tickets. And the guy said, where are your tickets? And I said, I thought that if I was trying for the brass ring, I didn't have to have a ticket. <laughs> so I went that on the other side of that spectrum. I thought as long as I was trying, that was enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, and, uh, and as I look back on that, I thought at least I was trying. Exactly. The guy laughed and he said, this was on us because, you know, nobody else had thought of that, I guess. But yes. But, you know, and I want to say one other thing, and then we're going to bring our, our next guest on. But my mom always said that she has a son at 62, but she's only 39. Right. You know what? That's how I feel. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thanks. Me too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I'll be saying from now on. Yes. Well, I am very excited to be meeting our next guest, and he's going to be uh, here in New York. Uh, maybe Jenny, maybe we can go and see him together. Uh, and he's going to be on the 27th, uh, Mark Arthur Art Miller, and he is right here. I'm bringing him on, and he's been waiting patiently. Hello. Hello. Hi. Jenny, can I ask you a question? Yes. Which um, Al Jarreau did you cover? Boogie Down. Oh, great. I love it. Yeah, I knew Al fairly well. For years and years and years, and years. I, I have to tell you, I, I watched a lot of footage on him, and to watch him perform and to watch what came out of him was mind-boggling. It was like pouring water out of a faucet. He used to joke with me because I probably saw him in concert ten times in probably six different cities. Uh -huh. He joke, are you following me around? <laughs> <laughs> No, I just have, every time I know where you're at, I'm going to see you if, if at all possible. He was very close friends with my sister, and I knew him fairly well. As a matter of fact, I introduced myself to him in the bathroom at Dante's. Remember Dante's in L.A.? Yes. And we, were both in the, we, were, we were both in the bathroom, and so I started singing one of his songs. We were the at the bathroom in both urinals, and I started singing one of his songs, and he started laughing. And I said, hi, I'm Mark Miller. You know Julie, my sister. For, oh my God! And you, you obviously knew my dad and stuff. But that's how I introduced myself. To him. Well, you know what? You got to grab the chances. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, yeah, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, tell them a little bit about your dad, and then we'll jump into what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, yeah. the show the show has a lot to do with my dad and my relationship. So I. I I remember my dad was uh, uh, Ron Miller. He passed in 2007, and he was Motown's first white writer. Mm. So he wrote for Once in My Life, Touch Me in the Morning. Oh, my God. Yes, Me, Yes, Today, A Place in the Sun. He's about 30 gold records. So, oh, wow. And then, you know, and I wrote this script, and obviously I have a CD that like. Uh, uh, brought out a few years ago I'm working on a second one also with more of my own songs but I wrote some of my songs it's more of a tribute to Motown and my dad's music and then songs that I wrote in the same soul vein that uh, that I grew up with but uh, yeah wow. so that's what this show's about yeah. Motown, wow. Motown is my favorite genre of music yeah well, come to New York, <laughs> New York in high school you'll love this Mark 
in high school, my junior year in high school for the senior prom, we had the four tops. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. We had the Temptations. Oh, my God. At your high school? The originals. Wait, was this a rich public private high school? It was White Plains, White Plains High School. Okay, yeah. And, and um, one of my classmates' father was a big shot in the record industry. So, so wow. Right? Those are big shot those are big shot groups. When were you first aware of your father and his body? I like to call it a body of worth. Mm-hmm. When were you first aware of your father's body of worth? Well, that's I mean, you know, I mean I guess I can give a little bit of the show away. Um I my dad I, my parents were divorced when I was two, so I only saw my dad a few times till I was like six, you know, a couple times on and off. And there were some big moments in our life when I was little, little that I remember that I also put in the show. But then they got divorced and he left um, to go to Detroit. And I didn't see him from the time I was six to 16. Wow. So for 10 years, I didn't see him. But the, the, oh, wow. the parallel world was he was at that point in an all-black world as the only white writer of Motown. And I was living with my grandparents and my mom in an all-black neighborhood. Oh, my God. So (laughs) I was trying to convince all my black friends that the name on the record was my dad. (laughs) And they would say, oh, man, that's bullshit. That ain't your dad. (laughs) You know? So, yeah, I mean, you know, and I would keep seeing his name on records, and eventually they believed me. And then um, by chance... My sister made a phone call to Motown, and which had moved to LA when she finally called him, and I and and he called us back. And mm-hmm. then eight months, seven, eight months later, we were living in LA with him when I and I was seventeen years old. Uh-huh. And then we had a very, very uh, crazy, wonderful, very close relationship until he passed. And mm-hmm. we worked together, and we wrote together, and he, you know, we. Sang together. I recorded a lot of his stuff, and you know, yeah. So, you know, now come to the theater. You can hear the rest of the story. So, Judy, you know, mentioned that Motown is one of her favorite genres of music. It's one of mine as well. Um, you know, you obviously the talent is there. Uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But what is it about Motown that pulls you in when you could go in so many different directions yourself? Well, you know, I was I. I, I was a professional athlete. I, I played professional tennis for a long time, and um, I, I taught a lot of top players who played at big tournaments and stuff while I was running a theater company and acting in television and doing theater and singing and trying to do all that. So I was in going in a lot of different directions. But I think I grew up where the first music was soul music, and there's just, even when I was doing side gigs and I would do Sinatra stuff or old standards and you know i do arrangements to old standards every arrangement i started to do even to the old songs like i did arrangements to on the street where you live and things like that they were always had a rhythmic motown feel Mm -hmm. so i sensed myself going that way not that i didn't like standards just for standards sakes but i always felt like i want i have to get that you know into it that motown always had Mm -hmm. so you know that I think that's the rhythm I walk to, mm-hmm. if you can say. You know, 
Well, based on where you lived for a lot of your life, how could you not be infused with that? Yeah. And if I didn't know how to dance, I was in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, you know, it was a great upbringing. I mean, I, you know, it made me, it made me a liberal for life and, uh, you know, showed me a lot of things that I got to learn at a young age about how the world works and, you know. Uh, well, can you explain it to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have any answers. I just, uh, no, no. You know. Well, the answers we used to have don't work now. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Yes. Well, I wrote a song called 87th and King that's on the record, and, and it's about where I grew up on 87th and Martin Luther King Drive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, one of the lines is, we worked through things, you know, back then. Right. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, I wore a different coat, you know, but we worked through things, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, that was more of what, it was, what we were trying to do back then, and now it seems like we're going the opposite directions. And, you know, yeah, we got to get back to working through things. That's a great song title. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, get it to Jenny. Get it to Jenny. <laughs> uh, so, Mark, I, I, I want to ask. You know, with you know, with all the changes and everything, you're 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 putting this story now on stage, and and this is something I want to get back to Jenny about as well. Um, the thing that I love most about being in this business, believe it or not is the collaborative process. I love it when I am in a room with other creative people and I go, please bring as much to the table as you could possibly can because all ideas are worth hearing. What does the collaborative process mean to you? Me? You. Everything. I mean, everything. I mean, Peter Smith, who is my co-producer, co-arranger, co-writer on the songs, he's a brilliant jazz musician himself. He's from New York. He's been in LA for quite a long time. He's he just has a new album out that he's, he'll be in New York in, in Terrytown at the, um, uh, the Jazz Forum in Terrytown. He's got two shows on the, on the 23rd of uh, July, right before our show, and he'll come back from Manhattan and we'll do ours. But I, I was blessed to find him. I saw him at a house concert mm -hmm. um, of a good friend of mine. He was playing for a house concert, and we went out back and had a drink during the break, and I said, will you go on this journey with me? And he said, what's the journey? I said, I want to redo Motown, do some of my own stuff. And, my, and I told him who my dad was, and he said, I'd love to. And we've been like that ever since. So that, to me, I love performing. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love performing. It's like, you know, it keeps me alive. But when you first start to put a song together, or first get an arrangement together and those are the first times you go oh that works and oh my god how did you think of that or what those are the those are the best times. absolutely this morning i had tom jones of uh, jones and schmidt you know who wrote the fantastics they have a new production of the fantastics that's opening in provincetown uh -huh. and he's 97 wow. and he's going to be uh -huh. on the he's going to be on the show next sunday so uh uh, but uh, he just wanted to make sure that everything was going to work. And uh, and when I think of, like, uh, for the sound check, he said, I want to see if I can hear you. I started singing Try to Remember from the Fantastics. And he said, I can hear you. <laughs> so, but to know that these, I mean, for once in my life, you know, I mean, these, these iconic songs that are so much a part of the landscape of our lives, you know, and they're there. And Jenny talked about, you know, 
aging and getting older and everything. And as we get older, these songs have a, we listen to them in a different way. Uh, we listen to them based on our life experiences. I mean, right now I turn on the TV and uh, everything on TV makes me burst into tears because of everything that's going on in the world. It's just, I, I think, you know, how lucky that we were at a time and the world has never been, you know, just a, a, the safest place in the world to be, but it's a dangerous world out there now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but music is the one unifier for all people. Yeah. Well, and, and hearing those old songs, it, it just, it sparks joy, right? You know, it may, it, it, you're right back there. As soon as you hear the song in your heart, you're, you're there, you know? You know, the other thing that I think it does, and this may sound weird, but it reminds you that two and two equals four and not five. Right. Mm-hmm. Because two and two has always equaled four to us. Right. But people are willing to try to sell you the other idea. Yeah. You know, yeah. and all of that, all of that held us together. Yeah. Right. Uh, that music that we came up with and people were writing good music. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and that and, and that was. That was their purpose to write good music, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah my dad. My I would always talk to my dad about you know because he always wanted me to write, and and oddly enough, I performed and performed, but I didn't start writing until after he passed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I think I was intimidated in, in, sure. in one sense, um, yeah. you know. But but yeah, he got up. He would always say, "I." He says, "I'm very rarely inspired." Because I write great songs because I work. Wow. Yes, it's work. Well, it is Mark, work. I'm going to bring on our next guest. But before I do, what was the greatest piece of advice that you got from your father in this business? I, I say it in the show, but he, I mean, <laughs> I, got, I got a million, I got a million things from him. I mean, he was a character, and you'll find out what a character he was at the show. But he would always want me to write, so he said to me one day, "He goes, why don't you eat, you know, with a cigarette?" He was always smoking. Why don't you write a hundred bad songs? That's a, good, <laughs> that's a good start. Exactly. <laughs> that's good. Well, we're going to bring on our next guest, but Mark, since you know her so well, I'd like you to introduce our next guest. Oh, Barbara Mikas. Well, to tell you the uh-huh. truth, she did one of her first shows with my father. Wow. Yes. Wow. She will tell you about that, but she is going to be in New York. She's going to be at the York Theater. I'm going to bring this back on uh, at the end of August, on August 28th at 7.30 and Tuesday, August 29th at 1 p.m. We'll talk about about the show. She's been on this show before, and I can't get enough of her, and she knows this. Every time she comes to New York, we jump through hoops to make sure that we had an evening together when she was in New York recently. And... Pouring rain or not, it was one of the best nights I've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Barbara, I love you so much. I'm thrilled you're here. I am so happy to be here. And that was one of the best nights ever because not only did you take me to a great place for, for dinner, we went to see the York together, the New York that is theater, which is uh, an interim theater at St. Jude's Church. And mm-hmm. I, I could have never gone to see it without you. Richard, well, that was so special. You and Danny, thank you. Thank, well, thank you. you, thank you, thank you. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And and Mark, oh, we, yes, you well, are. You're a new friendship to me. Yeah. 
that um, it's almost like it was uh, Bashir, which means meant to be. Well, I spin up a newsletter the other day, and Barbara reads my newsletter, and she read the newsletter, and she called me, and she says, Mark Arthur Miller's on the show, and I just love him. And I said, well, why don't you come on the show? Because I was still working to get our third guest on the show, and here you are. So you worked with Mark's father. Well, I was 18 and inappropriately in Chicago, inappropriately cast in a small theater's production of Wonderful Town as me, as, as Ruth, which of course, totally wrong. Uh, and there was this really gorgeous guy with black hair, very handsome. And he was madly in love with the lead dancer and he would come to every, which wasn't me, uh, and he would come every day to rehearsals. And finally one day he came up to me and he said, Barbara, we don't know each other. I'm Ron Miller. And I said, oh, so I see, I've seen you here. He said, yeah, well, I'm going with it. it I cannot remember her name, but thank you. It wasn't your mother. Uh, no, it wasn't. He said, someday I'm going to write a song for you. Whoa. I said, oh my goodness. Okay. So many years later, many years later, I am living in California. I am married. Uh, I didn't have children at that time uh, yet. And this really nice looking gentleman with grayish black hair came to uh, my booth with my, and my husband was sitting there and he said, excuse me, are you Barbara Minkus? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, well, I know you since you're 18. And he introduced, I said, oh my God, he said, I have never forgotten the promise I made you. Do you remember the promise? And I said, yes, I remember you said someday you're going to write a song for me, but, but you, you're, I sing your songs in my hat. You don't have to write a song for me. He said, well, I have a couple songs I think would be right for you. Can you come over with your husband to my apartment and I'll sing them, show them to you? And I said, sure. And we went and we paid for a record. Did I tell you this? Paid for the entire record session live, and he took it to Barry, and that was the best part that that you remember. What was it didn't happen. The song was called um, "I've Never Been to Me," which was later re recorded with someone else, and uh, "Somewhere in My Life," which, yeah. but I have the originals. Yeah, and uh, I've never I've never been to me. Truthfully, became. <laughs> the gay national anthem. Really? Yeah, it was in. Um, really? Of it course. Was in uh, Priscilla. That's right. For the movie and right. the musical. Wow. In Australia, so yeah. But the end of the story is that to meet Mark and have money with him, and for us to have such a strong connection, because I was really a, I loved your dad, and I was trying to be there for you and your sisters when. And you can spill, and I, I, it just came back like a circle. <laughs> well, Barbara, I know this show intimately because I helped you along the way with this show. And uh, but for those who don't know about this show, give us your take on what audiences can expect of the show. Well, it, actually, it's kind of not just about 
what happened to me, you know, the younger version and the older version, but all the different versions in between. <laughs> and um, it's kind of uh, coming out for me, so to speak. It's very in to say it that way. Um, because I talk about all my identities and there's some of them are surprising. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, like you, Jenny, having another career. I too have another career. Mm-hmm. And uh, with a different name, I use two different names. Mm-hmm. My third name and my acting name. And um, my agents never knew that I had another career. Wow. And my people that I work for very rarely know anything about Barbara Mavis ever. Mm. I mean, I try to keep yeah. it separate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been a fun journey. But I've got a funny story about groups. Uh, you were talking about the temptations, Judy. Well, when I was in grammar school, Bateman Grammar School in Chicago, uh, we, I had a girlfriend in my class who was very mature. She was the original groupie for the crew cuts. Did you ever hear the crew cuts? Oh. Shaboom, shaboom. So she said to them, they were playing at the Chicago Theater, which I was addicted to the Chicago Theater. That's how I would get on stage with every performer and uh, with Tony Bennett would bring me up because I would sing from the first row and they'd say, who's that chubby little girl singing? And they'd bring me up. So lo and behold, Roberta Smith says to me, guess who's coming to our assembly today? And I was singing in the assembly. I get the neck of the chicken, which I sing in this show with a real chicken neck that I hold up <laughs> that my mother baked for me. And I have the original red ribbon that I held it up. She said, the crew cuts are coming and they want to hear you sing. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Great. That's wonderful. You were very sweet to me. <laughs> Another didn't go much further, but the crew cuts came and they sang. So well, I also want to mention uh, that there is a very specific reason why you wanted to perform at the time that you're performing at the York Theater in line with their other shows at this point. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes. The York, oh, first of all, Jim Morgan has been a friend to me since I've known you, Richard. He's the artistic uh, director, yes. He is, and I've sent him all kinds of editions of this one-woman show that I wrote. It's nothing like what I hope all of you out there are going to see when you come. Uh, but he, cha- he said, Barbara, you can't have a negative title. Originally, it was, I'm not famous. He said, got to be positive. So I said, okay, how about 18 minutes of fame? Because that's what I felt I had. He says, I've got a great idea for you. The last time I met with him, he said, you know, we are doing a sh- uh, ill-fated show that Oscar Brand, you ever hear of Oscar Brand? He was a folk singer, writer. He wrote the words and music to the songs of the Broadway show that I starred in, The Education of Hyman Kaplan. And he said, Oscar Brand wrote another show after Hyman Kaplan, How to Steal an Election. And we're going to do it this August at the, at the, uh, the Mufti. It's like a, the musical old shows that they present. How about if you do your show and bring, tie in a story and a song about Oscar Brand? I said, you got it. I wrote the, I'm not just bragging, but I really think this is cute. 
I wrote the cutest story about Oscar Brand, who was a folk singer, and George Abbott, the director, who was very elegant and very old by the time he did Hyman Kaplan, and how Mr. Abbott told Oscar that he wanted a song for Hyman Kaplan, played by Tom Bosley, to sing to the woman, the girl that he's fallen in love with at night school, be it me, Rose Mitnick. But it's got to be funny. So the next day we got into a car to go to Philadelphia for our previews that night. And Oscar Brand said, I wrote this song last night, Mr. Abbott. And while we're in the, if you like it, while we're in the, the limo going to Philadelphia, I'll teach it to Barbara and, uh, and uh, Tom. We did it that night. Of course, there were no orchestrations. Oscar Brand sat in the, in the, in the pit, the orchestra, and played it on the piano. And of course, I had the lyrics written on my hand because how am I going to learn that so quickly? But no one thought I would just go like this. No one would see the lyrics. And it became a hit in the show. So that's part of it. The, and then I sing both versions, the Hyman Kaplan version, which is very funny in it. Yiddish English, which I'm not going to give away. And my song, Rose Mitnick, which is a love letter that the night school teacher helped Hyman write to Rose. So it's very touching and very funny. Well, so, I interviewed Clifton Davis, and Clifton yeah. Davis was in Hello, Dolly! with Pearl Bailey and uh, Cap Halloway. And he left that show to do How to Steal an Election. And Morgan Freeman, who was in the show, was furious that he was leaving the show. But he thought it was going to be a huge stepping stone to his career. And of course, it didn't last very long. But that's the, worse than the education of Hyman Kaplan. Do you want to tell them what happened? Or do you want to save it for the show? Uh, I'm not going to say it in the show so I can say it now. Okay. Because okay. I, I think that's inappropriate. The show is honoring. But uh, they, <laughs> uh, uh, they found out that the, who the producers were. Muggsy Lou and Al. Oh. No, oh, 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 right. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, that right. the show is pulled. Wow. I'm talking about what happened on opening night. Opening night for my show? Yes. Opening night on my show is uh, a benefit for the NAACP with the. Uh, Sammy Davis and Ruby and Mayor John Lindsay then as the guest of honor and first act went great. Oh, wow. Just wonderful. And then the audience came back after intermission. It was like, it was like a different audience and a lot of people had left and the cast couldn't figure out what had happened and, and uh, Mr. Abbott didn't want us to know because it was April 4th, 1968, mm -hmm. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Yeah. So, you know, when something traumatic happens, Broadway was very sensitive. And all of Broadway was shut down that week. Wow. And I mean, Kaplan only lasted a couple weeks more. So. You know, it's just, and this is one of the lessons that I get from your show. Um, it's all about 
your tenaciousness, your tenacity in this business. Uh, when so many times you're going down a certain path and then something comes up and it just takes you down a different path. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Jenny, um, you mentioned earlier, you know, stepping away, but have there been pivotal moments in your career that just turned on a dime and how you got through that and what got you to the other side? And you, you mean something that's not positive? Uh, yeah, something that's not positive. We don't want to mention names or anything like that. Yeah, well, I think when I was on Atlantic Records, I'd finally gotten with a production company that was um, aligned with Atlantic Records, and I'd had three top ten dance records. Dance music was not the genre that I was headed for, because my roots were in gospel music, uh, and I wanted to be Mahalia Jackson, or the next one. And so, <laughs> and so I got this opportunity through a, a gentleman who became my manager, and um, I got to do this record, One More Shot, I think was the name of it. So I wasn't ever signed directly to Atlantic, but I was in tandem with, I was in a production company that was in alignment with Atlantic. They made all these promises to me and didn't keep one. Didn't keep, I never became the it girl for them. You know, they never decided that I was the one they wanted to put everything behind like they did with Mariah on her label and Whitney. Now, Mariah and Whitney are extraordinary talents. I'm very good at what I do. I may not be in that niche, but I was certainly worth them investing in. And they just would not do it. And, um, and stuff went down that I, I was told, well, you know, you, you didn't make it because you, would, you wouldn't sleep with people. And I said, well, I guess I wasn't going to make it then because that wasn't, that was going to never be. Huh. That wasn't going to never happen, okay, for me to progress in, as, as my career. And I had, you know, people um, at public events make promises that they didn't keep. And so what I did was, after Atlantic Records sued me, after my manager sued me, and after the recording studio sued me, my present husband and I went into the industrial field and did for 10 years in, uh, work in the industrial field for the Fortune 500 companies and became the two most well-paid and sought-after composer and singers in the field. So I have a song on my album that we're, good, we're doing called My Every Step. I was, in foster, I was in foster care for 18 years. My mother gave me up when I was 18 months old. And one day I looked at the arc of my life, just a short arc of my life. And I looked at the mistakes I ma I've made in my life. Big uh, mistakes. So you talk about something that happened <laughs> that changed my career. I've done that to myself. But I realized in all of that, that somehow the divine or the universe or whatever is a part of me knew where I would be in the future, knew, and so worked my steps in that way. So even though I was making mistakes and didn't know myself what my decisions would be or what streets I would turn down, something knew that. And so I have a song on my album called My Every Step. 
I didn't know, but I, you know, I've been in three different foster homes, so I've been through a lot of religious or Baptist and holiness and different kinds of um, religious energy. So that sits in me very solidly in its own way. I've never, I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested in pandering religion. I'm interested in inspiration and in victory and in hope and in inspiring. Okay, so that sits in me, but I understood one day really well that I didn't know what the hell I was doing a lot of the time, but something bigger than me knew. So even when things didn't, when I didn't become what I had started out think, thinking I wanted, although I don't even know if I would have made it in the record business with what goes on with people there and what can happen to you there in that world um, at a certain level of success, I am grateful for whatever providence has sat over my life. Because being in three different foster homes and not ever having anyone in 18 years believe in me or help me focus or help me think about who I could or would want to be, and I sit here today in my right mind, mm. is a blessing. Absolutely. Amen. You know. uh, Mark, uh, same question. You know, a pivotal moment in your career that maybe was a difficult moment that you and what got you through it and got to the other side. Um, I, I think the, I actually think the most pivotal moment for me, um, you know, because I, I, I'm very fortunate. Um, I, you know, my mom used to joke that at six years old, I walked into the living room of the of my grandparents and uncles and the family and said, okay, I'm going to be a professional athlete and a performer. And she says, and then that's exactly what you did for the rest of your life. Interesting. So, so you know, I sort of knew where my loves were, and I, I've done all of all of them. Um, so it's a constant growth of, I, I mean, I, I always tell people I feel very lucky that I've never had to get up in the morning and not go do a job that I didn't love. God bless um, that. That's great. Know, so I really feel, I think the last year of my life has showed me the most because, um, you know, I got diagnosed with bladder cancer a, a year ago, um, and we got it really early. And I had a couple surgeries and then another one and, and then because it came back and doing treatments and, and I'm fine and I'm good and I'm, I'll deal with it and whatever. But the last time I performed was probably the best moment I've ever had mm -hmm. because I was just so grateful that I was on stage doing what I love to do more than anything else. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, that the last year probably was the biggest turning point to, to make me realize how much I loved what I do. That's I mean, I just went back to doing live performing, and that first time that I stepped on stage after four years, it was like, this is where I belong. Mm -hmm. You know, it just felt so good to be back. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, I mean, you, I mean, coming to New York to do this show, and you're doing it on your terms, the way that you want to do it, and presenting it the way that you want to do it. What does all that mean to you? You know, I... This has been a, a dream. I I wanted to go back to New York on my terms, so to speak, and I didn't have that opportunity. This is such a beautiful theater, and I'm bringing with me the director, my stage. I say my, I don't mean my. I mean the people that 
done the show with me, uh, lighting person, my musical director, and they're all coming to help me with my dream. I don't know, you know, it isn't about a future, it's about a now, it's about enjoying that coming back, so to speak, you know, without strings, without expectation, just for the joy of doing this show that I, I really love my show. I mean, well, I love it too. And it's coming back and just enjoying the moment. And I have no other expectation. So I'm very appreciative to the York Theater for inviting me. I know that they're going to be very happy with how I'm tying in uh, Oscar Brand's, uh, uh, how, the message he gave me, the songs he gave me, and how much I, it, it all ties in with what they're doing, the show that they're doing. So and it's, it's fun, it's gonna be fun. For me. Hey, I'm going to ask you the same question. I mean, a, a difficult period in your life that you were able to just forge through and get to the other side. I um, think, I, well, you, Judy, we took, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, you. I thought he said Barbara. I'd rather hear from you. No, I'm just, you know, I'm listening to what everybody's saying and the resilience of, of everybody here, right? You know, that ability to just pivot, right? What, you know, life gives you lemons, you make it lemonade. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, all of us have faced those times in our lives, and that's that's where, where true metal comes out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we, we, we get to that point because of the experiences that, that have shaped us. You know, Jenny, you're talking about growing up in foster homes. I mean, you know, that, that's a very traumatic experience. <laughs> and yet, because of that, those experiences, you use that to succeed. You use that to pivot and do, you know, say, you know, let me show you what I can do. Um, and I, you know, I just think that that's that's such an important message for people to know that we have that strength within us. We just have to be able to tap into it. You know, and you also, I've also been grateful for the saying that when one door closes, mm -hmm. another my opens. middle name, <laughs> another opens. I've, right. Yes. Exactly. Bravo, because that's the way I live. Yeah. So, Richard, what was it like, I mean, getting back up? No, it just felt great to be, I mean, well, the first performance, um, everybody was raving about the show, and yet I wasn't feeling any of that, because it, it, it was just, it was almost as if I was having an out-of-body experience. Uh, luckily, a week later, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was able to drink it all in. And I am going to be in Provincetown, shameless plug. On August so, yes, which is Ready? actually the 44th anniversary of my coming to New York. And it's based on this book, The Magic of Believing, which oh, I was uh -huh. reading when I was uh, 13 years old. And I told my parents that five years from that day, I would come to New York on, on August 5th, 1974. And I did, August 5th, 1979. Wow. So, I love that book. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's absolutely. Uh, this was the book Again, that uh, in New York. I had never been on a plane before. I had never uh, been outside of uh, the Carolinas. I had never been anywhere. Uh, I had never slept in another bed except at my grandparents' house. I didn't know the oh my God. thing about surviving in New York. But all of those stories are in my show about how it all began. 
And so I'm very excited about this. But I want to thank you all for being here today. Um, all of you yeah. uh, inspire me. And uh, and I, I, Jenny, what is the release date for your CD, by the way? We hope mid-September. Right. We've got three more three more songs to do, background vocals, and really sitting down listening to the whole album and making sure we're pleased and happy with everything. Well, when it comes out, you'll come back and we'll do a CD release celebration right here. Thank you. Oh, that'll be so much fun. Um, Thank you. I'm going to give each of you a chance to give your final word today. It could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had or just any final message you want to leave everyone with. Um, I'm going to go first, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Jenny, and then you can decide whether it will be Barbara or Mark who will go next, and then so on, and then Judy will close the show. I want to thank everyone for being here today. Uh, as you can see, it's all about getting up, pulling up your bootstraps, and getting out there and keep going no matter what. And uh, we live in a world where it's so easy to say no, or yes, that's all it's about. Success pivots on that dime, yes or no. I called Judy earlier today about an issue that I was having about booking someone on the show, and all the person needs to do is say yes or no, rather than doing a million emails back and forth. Watch the show if you're watching it. So that's my message for everyone. I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call, and I want all of you to do the same thing today. Pick up the phone and call someone you haven't spoken to in a long time and let that person know that they have made a difference in your life. And trust me when I tell you this, if you do that, you're gonna make a major difference in their lives today. It takes very, it, it, it takes very little to do this. When I reached out to Jenny, she didn't send me an email to, uh, to talk about everything. She picked up the phone and she called me. Barbara does that. I, you know, Barbara and I talk on the phone uh, quite often. It means a lot to just pick up the phone and call someone you haven't spoken to in a long time. I have a dear friend, uh, Sean Moniger, and he always says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And mm -hmm. I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave, and Jenny, I'm turning it over to you. Um, I just want, uh, I just wanted to say that I found that being grateful and continuing to believe that I have a path forward uh, sustains me, and it keeps bringing life to me, so that I can then give it back in my my work. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Jenny. Mark? Uh, just knowing, constantly reminding myself of who and what I love and who loves me. Yeah, we all need love in our lives. Exactly. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Barbara? You know, when I came to California after Hyman Kaplan closed, I started getting involved with science of the mind. And uh, and because of that connection, I realized that there's goodness out there. God and good are the same, but there's an extra O with good. So I always think about 
well, what is going to be the good that's going to be? Not staying with the moment. And, and that's always helped me tremendously. And Jenny said, one door closes, another door opens. Just being open to the good, a higher power that we're not, I didn't say who it was, but I'm not in control. I just am control of looking for the good. Yeah. And that's what I recommend to other people. Yeah. Thank you, Barbara. And I agree. You know, it's about joy, bringing joy into your life and really focusing on the things that do give you joy, the little things in life, that song that you hear and that just reminds you of some wonderful time in your life. Or maybe it's just watching a beautiful sunset or it's, you know, cooking a wonderful meal or eating a wonderful meal or laughing with a friend or with, with, with loved ones, whatever it is, build a happy and a grateful life. And that will see you through everything. So bring joy into everything that you do. Thanks for being with us.